This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I feel relief. Some excitement, mostly relief. That Jamal Adams agreed to a contract no less than, what, an hour, two hours after we had conducted a poll of when is it going to happen, and nobody picked August 17th, which is when it occurred. I know. That's my biggest frustration, Danny, because I thought about it. I did think about it for a second, but since we all were sort of on the same wavelength, I I chickened out. I chickened out because, honestly, Danny, I I don't think I've ever really been that concerned about whether or not a deal would get done. Yeah, I was concerned. I was concerned. What was it that I guess had you most concerned? Because they were at a point where if he says I'm not going to budge and the Seahawks are, I, I believe the Seahawks were at their limit and I thought there was going to be a standoff. I've always thought that that contract specifically because you've got a guy that is asking to not just set the market but to sort of move into a different neighborhood at his position creates the possibility for a long-standing standoff. So I'm relieved that it got done. I understand that. I am relieved, too. I'm especially relieved that we could move on from this because I I just was always under the assumption that things were going to be worked out by the start of the season and that that wouldn't necessarily say that there were a couple more weeks where Jamal Adams wasn't out there, hurt the Seahawks for the long haul in 2021. But it's great to have this resolved, and it's especially great to sit back and look at all the people that – we're doing many character assassinations of Jamal Adams. Have to sit back and take it. That's New York media, and that's others who I think were doing the bidding of the negotiating parties here, whether it was the Seahawks or it was Jamal Adams' agent, making it seem a lot messier than it actually was. Are you more excited or more relieved? You can text in 710-710. My, my feelings air toward relief, and most of that is because to not get a long-term deal done Disaster is a strong way to phrase it because Seattle wasn't losing him. It was just going down a significantly rockier path. It was going down a path that included a lot more possibilities for things going sideways, for having an unhappy player, and you've already given up an awful lot to get this player. I, you, you can argue that Seattle, I mean, Seattle gave up two first-round picks and a third-round choice. Granted, it was from a draft that people have have a questionable value, and neither one of those first-round picks is expected to be high. But still, they gave up an awful lot to sign a dude to an awfully big contract. You could you could argue, like, is it is it worth it? But had they not gotten the agreement, well, then you're into the, oh my gosh, you gave up all of that and you still couldn't get an agreement? You gave up all that, you thought that much of him, and yet you couldn't work out a long-term extension. So I think that's probably why I'm feeling more relief. Because the alternative was a whole lot of uncertainty about a guy you'd given up an awful lot for. And to be honest, you need to be really, really good. You need him to be as good as you thought he was when you acquired him. Worst case scenario, you would have had to slap the franchise tag on him a couple of times. Those deals likely would And wouldn't. then he's not showing up in the offseason. Right. Then you don't know when he's showing up in training camp. True. Is he going to get there the week before the regular season starts? Is he going to want to solicit trade offers? That's gonna That would have been a part of it because once once you put out the franchise tag on him, that's he's going to start making inquiries about can I get dealt somewhere. It would have been a big mess. It would have been, but at the same time, now you look at the deal, and we, we don't know all the specifics of it, but we're, we're talking about, what, $38 million guaranteed or so. 
you give him the franchise tag one year, and then the next year, I think it would have been like something along the lines of under the safety uh, designation, thirteen million, and then about seventeen million or something like that for the next season. Ultimately, you're giving him a little more guaranteed money than that. We'll see what this deal actually is structured. If that's one of those deals where it's after two years or it's after three years, it's easy for the Seahawks to get out of. But I, the the resolution that I think we came to, it could have been a lot worse, obviously, if Adams and the Seahawks didn't get here. But there's just something about the way that Jamal Adams, I feel like, looks at the Seahawks, especially in comparison to the New York Jets. And maybe this is me being arrogant. I just don't think that it ever had the potential to get that personal, that well, messy. Why wasn't it done three weeks ago? I mean, this offer has been sitting there for two weeks. Well, like if that was if this was such a a, a locks a, a, a cinch to be done, and there was no uncertainty, what have we been doing for two weeks? I mean, I feel like it was just a stare down. If we're talking about a difference of about two million dollars or so in guaranteed money, that's that's not that big of a difference. And it's found out that afterwards, the max deal that Adams could earn could be seventy two million dollars, which would actually, on an annual basis, give him the eighteen million dollars a year that Bobby Wagner gets. It, it, it feels like that's another, okay, we'll give you the opportunity for this. We're not really sure that you're necessarily going to live up to it. I, I, I guess to me, Danny, it was it was legitimately just two sides staring each other down and seeing how long that this would last. And not something where they're angry at each other or it's actually contentious. Well, we certainly get the opportunity for the makeup press conference. Yes. And while the makeup press conference might not be as good as, as some other makeup sessions that can occur, <laughs> the makeup press conference is always fun because you get both sides assuring you that they have no hard feelings about the other and are, in fact, very excited. And in, in terms of makeup press conference, Jamal Adams excelled. Here was, he was asked, had an extension not been done, is it possible he wouldn't have been there week one? Man, <laughs> Hell no, man. I'm not booba the fool, man. I'm, I, I wasn't not going to take the contract, man. So, no. Um, you know, where I'm from, man, we, we're definitely taking that, man. Mom called. Um, she called twice. Um, and when mom called and she told me that I needed to take the contract, it was, no, it was, it was a no-brainer. So, mama knows best. Mom's with the best. Yeah, make a press conference. There's nothing to worry about the whole time here. I don't know if it was. Maybe, maybe he did have that always in the back of his mind. Hey, I've got, I, I've got this in my back pocket. There's nothing wrong with asking for a little bit more and see if that'll produce it. But now the rubber's meeting the road and it's time to get the deal done. You know, maybe I'm going out of my way to believe Adams just because of the way things seem to be described about him after his time in New York. And when you actually heard his side specifically of the story, of course it's his side and there's two, there's truths to every side of a story. I just remembered hearing all of that and thinking to myself, this is a guy who's not unreasonable. This is a guy who was frustrated with the team that said that they weren't going to rebuild, that started rebuilding, and then he said, well, I want to get paid, and they were like, okay. Instead, they started shopping him. He found out about it. He got frustrated, and then everything kind of escalated to the point where it did in New York. We're here. You know, I, I, I hear him say that, and I, I believe him. Am I, am I naive in believing that? Yes. Am I naive in believing that this, this makeup yes. press conference had, is, is uh, not a reflection of what actually took place? Yes, and if he had not signed that contract, you would have heard a chunk of Seahawks fans talking just like Jet fans talk about him right now. Like, you would have heard the exact same sort of things. And with the New York 
press. I don't think there's been that much. I think I mean, it's been think, close to character assassination with them, Danny. I, I who think, said that? Who's you, you said who who's who's said those things? I mean, who is that guy that we played audio of him? I think in December, and I for, I for, I forget the name specifically. Cause I was going back through the system to look for it, and I just remember saying like, "Oh, people in New York were happy that he was gone." But then you actually hear from Adam Gase; he doesn't say anything bad about him after the Seahawks Jets game. You hear Jamal Adams talking about the Jets; he doesn't say anything bad about them. Perfect opportunity to put the uh, flag in the middle of the Jets stadium, essentially, sort of Baker Mayfield style, if he so chose to. Yeah, I think that it's been pretty professional on on both sides, really. I don't think that there's been some sort of really bitter. The Jets were rebuilding, and they traded him for picks, and, and they're happy with how that deal worked out because they didn't know. The Seahawks were happy to get a player. I, I see it as a fairly standard sort of sort of business. I, I don't think that this deal is vindication for, for Jamal Adams to show that he is reasonable or anything. I think that this was a transaction that needed to get done. I'm grateful that it happened, but I don't— I. I didn't feel that he was maligned or anything. He's landed in a better spot, certainly in terms of winning football, and now he's the highest paid safety in the league. Like, he wins, right? He does. Maybe he wishes he won a little bit more, and and, and who wouldn't? But hard feelings-wise, here's the makeup press conference as you described it. Are the hard feelings, do you think, completely gone? Are they, if there are any, perhaps reserved for the negotiation room? And is it between his agent and between the front office more so than it is with Pete Carroll or anyone like I that? I don't think there are I don't think there are hard feelings here. Okay. I, I think I think that I don't this either. was I I think this was a pretty standard negotiation. There are hard feelings when somebody ends up losing money. There are hard feelings like that was the cha- when Cam Chancellor missed two games and missed out on that salary and the team lost those two games. That's that's where hard feelings come from. If a player gets fined or doesn't get paid millions of dollars. Like, that's that's where hard feelings come from. I don't think there are any hard feelings there. We get to bask in the afterglow today. You can text in relief or excitement. Are you relieved that this wasn't an impasse? Are you excited about what Jamal Adams will bring this this season? It's time for us to get to front page news. This, this is the front page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. I would like the Mariners games against the AAA team in their division, the Texas Rangers, to be a little easier. However, I will take the victory as the Seattle Mariners took down the Texas Rangers 3-1 last night in Arlington. Another five-plus inning outing for Tyler Anderson. Did you know that he's pitched at least five innings in every single start that he's had this year? Pretty nice find as the fifth starter. A couple sack flies from Ty France and Mitch Hanniger. Then a Luis Torrens insurance home run. Made things easy after uh, it got a little messy in the eighth inning where there's two runners on. J.P. Crawford turned an incredible double play to get them out of the inning onto the ninth inning where they were and eventually, with Paul Sewell on the hill, able to get out of it. And they pick up a game in the wildcard chase. They do. Five teams for two spots. The Yankees swept the Boston Red Sox, so they've now vaulted into a tie with the Red Sox as well as the A's. Um, I found a Twitter account that I'm addicted to. Yeah? It's Nick Chaturro. Oh. People remember him. He's an actor. Very uh, loud Yankee NY- fan. NYPD Blue. He he tweets in all caps constantly about the Yankees. Um, he, they're very profane. This one is just happy, so I thought we'd occasionally check in when the moment calls for it with Nick Chaturro, super Yankees fan. Time for the wild card. Crazy. Wow. Great day. Great day for Yankee fans. Time for the wild card. Crazy. I thought we were dead a month ago, but we're, we're in it. 
we're in it, baby. But we got a lot of work to do. No time to celebrate. Let's just keep pressing, pressing hard. Let's sweep them. Let's get the sweep. Make a statement here. We've had enough heartache this year. It's time now we get some some happiness. Let's keep going, baby. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. He referred to there was one picture that they had. I can't remember the dude's name. They just sent him back down. He referred to him as Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, the wise guy, uh, who is their closer, he calls him lasagna. He's just furious <laughs> with him. Just rails on Boone all the time when he gets mad. So we'll check in occasionally with, with Yankee superfan Nick Taturo. They were back of Boston 10 and a half games six weeks ago. Just six weeks ago. I mean, that's a, that's a ridiculous amount of ground. To make up, so it looks Boston's like Boston's in free fall. Yeah, and, and not, honestly, not surprising. This team stunk last year. You know, like I, I, that Boston had the great start that they did. That was a shock to me. So Boston's free falling. Oakland has meanwhile lost three in a row themselves, and they've cooled off because they were flaming hot after they got Sterling Marte. They have a really difficult schedule the rest of the way, Danny. Really difficult. Oakland does so. Things are looking a little bit. More manageable. The Mariners right now, they're basically .001 points behind Toronto in a tie. Four games out of those three teams. But yeah, wild card getting a little, getting a little exciting all of a sudden. The front page. Got a couple of updates here for the Seahawks. D. Eskridge uh, was cleared to practice yesterday. He was out there with a the helmet. So was Jamal Adams, who, who was on the field working out. Still no Dwayne Brown, who is conducting the hold-in. Uh, Marquise Blair did not practice. He also did not play in the preseason game. This this caught my attention. And while I think it's good to hear from Pete Carroll that it's not structural, there are concerns here because that was a pretty serious knee injury Marquise Blair had, and it's the same knee that's keeping him out right now. Here's Pete Carroll. Marquise, uh, is it the same knee? Marquise Blair, the same yes. knee that he yeah. What, yeah. what happened? He's got, he's got some soreness that we're just trying to make our way through. Um and it's it's a soreness in the kneecap that's not not part of the structure of, of it, but it's it's just we we just don't want to push him to a point where it gets nagging and, and, and you know it's a chronic deal. So we're going to wait wait him out a little bit. Hasn't even been a year since the injury. So these are things that happen along the way. Every single knee injury. I think we've come to a point where we almost assume these guys are going to be 100 percent pretty quickly after knee injuries. It's incredible that we've come that far from a medical perspective. But, you know, much like with Rashad Penny, who also was back out there, you got to wait. you got to wait a little bit. And, you know, when you got somebody as quick and explosive as Ugo Amadi can be, then you're going to give him as many opportunities as he can. I feel like Amadi's ultimately going to end up taking the job to open the season just based off of this development. It certainly puts Amadi in a, in a favorable position because I would not expect to see Marquise Blair in this preseason game, and maybe we'll see if he's back out there, but they he, he might not play at all this preseason. That is front page news. Let's get to the professor the day after the big deal for Jamal Adams. Find out what he thinks about it in the morning drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything. NFL, NFL from the professor John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. <laughs> professor, we have a vague idea of the contract that Jamal Adams just got. Four years, $70 million, $38 million guaranteed. I know you always are on top of contract-wise. 
the specifics, but what do you make of the deal? What's your first reaction to it before we get into those details? Well, it was higher than I thought it was going to be because I know that they wanted to keep him around $16 million, but he's so important that they were able to take it up to 17.5. They were able to take the guarantee to what would have been 35 up to 38 and so I think they were more than generous, and I guess you can thank that uh, you know Jamal Adams' mom for being smart enough to you know, <laughs> tweet, uh, tweet him at uh, mid- uh, midnight uh, the night before and say, take the deal. And so, you know, he was holding out with his agent for $40 million and a guarantee. So I guess Jamal Adams' mom was one of the keys to the end of this deal. But, I mean, they were more than fair. Seattle, you know, got him a little bit more than they wanted to do. But I think that they got him. And now the deal's done. He's happy. They're happy. Everything's worked out. John, what's next for Seattle? We know that Dwayne Brown is not practicing right now, reports that he would like an extension. Quandre Diggs is also probably mm-hmm. on that list of guys looking for uh, an, an extended deal. What do you think happens next? I think Dwayne Brown, because, again, the fact that he's not practicing, and I think that he wants something, it'll probably be you know pretty close to the salary that he's currently at. He'll probably get around $10 million. And so now um, my guess is with a $20 million signing bonus for Jamal Adams that the cap number for him comes down about $5 million into a little bit below $5 million a year. So it's like a $5 million this this year. So that clears out enough room to do something on a one, two-year basis for Dwayne Brown. And then they work out digs. But, I mean, the digs one to me is going to be a real tough one because now you're talking about – uh, a, a guy who went to the Pro Bowl last year, or at least was voted for the Pro Bowl. He, according to the uh, NFL Network, he's the 78th best player in the league, according to the voting of the players. So it's like, okay, so what do you pay him? I mean, can you pay 17.5 for uh, Adams, and what do you pay Diggs? That I think that's going to be a little bit more complicated with Brown. But I would anticipate now that they can get something done reasonably quick with Brown as long as it's not unreasonable and trying to ask for more than $10 million. Really is interesting to see what Diggs will make because he's been playing at a bargain rate over the last couple of seasons and has definitely, I think, now that he's playing safety in this Seahawks defense, achieved more and earned more than mm-hmm. what he had been making over the last couple. But we'll have to sit back and watch on that one. Pete Carroll, you heard just a moment ago, talk about the – Marquise Blair injury, his knee that is a little sore right now. What do you think that does for the Seahawks as far as their competition at that nickel corner spot between Hugo Amadi and Blair? Well, it slows obviously Blair down, but again, it's like uh, when you're coming off an ACL injury, it takes time. I mean, you look around the league at the you know 45, 46 players that had ACL injuries, and a lot of them are still kind of you know fighting through it, and you don't want to rush it. And of course, in this year where you have uh, you know more more teams, more coaches keeping out their players uh, in preseason games because you know there's 522 players that didn't play in the first preseason week. Uh, that uh, you just got to be cautious about it. So I don't think there's a big concern. I think it's just a matter of it's like, okay, uh, you know, when, when he's ready, you put him out there. I mean, you know, there's going to be certainly a little bit of a carryover as far as the injury from the previous season. But I think that uh, it's not like he's going to miss the season. It's not like he's going to miss the beginning of the season. Just, you know, rest him until he's ready. And then uh, when he's ready, you get him out there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, because, you know, again, it's like you can talk about Ugo Amadi being a good candidate to be the nickel back, but you could also talk about, you know, DJ Reed being a candidate if they start Trey Flowers. I know Flowers had a tough game 
uh, with the two bad plays that he made in that game in the first preseason game. But in the end, I think that, uh, you know, they're still in pretty good shape and they got enough depth to be able to handle things. John, having Jamal Adams in place for the next four years, what does that do for the defense? Because this was a guy they went out and gave mm-hmm. up an awful lot for, but their feeling was we're not going to get a player this talented by, by picking in the back half of the first round, by picking in, we, we hope to be picking in, in the late 20s, in fact. We, we get him like that. It, is this defense going to be like it was when when it closed last season or like when it began last season? I think it's it gave be closer, up so many yards. Yeah, I think it's going to be closer to where, where it was where it closed because, I mean, what you're looking at is that uh, the pass rush uh, looked good. I mean, even in the first preseason game, they got four sacks, uh, you know, certainly at the beginning of the year last year. I mean, they couldn't get hardly any sacks, and now they were able to get four, and now there's more depth in the pass rush. And then you look at the cornerback position. I mean, so far, Keller Witherspoon looks good. And, you know, as long as Trey Flowers and uh, DJ Reed can do a good job at the other cornerback position, they look good there. So I think the defense, you know, is in a position right now to vault up to maybe somehow, I don't know if it's going to get into the top 10, but maybe into the top 12, top 13. But I think the defense is going to look good. And if defense looks good, particularly as good as this offense should be, then I think they're in a real good spot to make a good uh, run for the Super Bowl and a run for the division. The Seahawks haven't had great luck with second-round picks over the last couple of years as far as injuries and other freakish occurrences. And Dwayne Eskridge, he joined that conversation this year, and he's missed three weeks of training camp, but he has been taken off the physically unable to perform list. So we will see him out there at training camp practice, and I imagine we will see him in a preseason game fairly soon. But what are your expectations for his actual contributions this season? It feels like if you're a rookie wide receiver in this league and you miss all of that valuable time, you're going to be really behind the eight ball, especially compared to the other wide receivers out there. Yeah, but if you look at it, I mean, league-wide right now, I mean, a lot of these draft choices from last year are all banged up. And again, so much of that, I think, has to be from the fact that, uh, you know, you may not have played a full college season. You may have opted out, all those different things. I mean, Tevin Jenkins from the Chicago Bears, who's supposed to be their starting left tackle, I mean, he's having back surgery. And so you start to look at all these injuries and it's like, okay, I think that's just part of the nature of the fact that with the pandemic and the college season that uh, it's tough right now to get these guys back in. And I think in the case of Estridge, I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, he's going to be the third wide receiver. It's just a matter of when. And now the when can start this week if he does play. Actually, he's not going to probably play this week. He'll probably play in the third preseason game. But I wouldn't panic about it because, again, when you're you're taking guys that, uh, you know, come in and uh, you know had some issues right now with injuries and stuff like that it's just a waiting game and again this draft I think was not a real good one I mean it was one that only had like about 600 players that were eligible to be drafted because again the uh, pandemic you know caused so much problems you had the super se- uh, super uh, senior years where you had all these guys who had the option to go back for a second senior year in college and all that stuff. So, I mean, in the end, I think they're they're fine. You just have to, you know, put through and go with the injuries. John, Josh Rosen, Dave Wyman's <laughs> favorite player, got released yesterday. So, fourth team he's played for. This is this was going to be his fourth season. He was with the 49ers. Uh, he got some time in the preseason uh, game that they played on Saturday, but I think Kyle Shanahan had said, hey, this next game, was it Nate Sudfeld that they're going to give a little bit more time to, and Rosen's gone. Is his NFL career over? No, he'll get somebody will probably sign him, but he just sucks. I mean, it's just a... <laughs> I mean, he just sucks. I mean, Worse. Rosen or Tebow? <laughs> Rosen. Damn. 
game. Well, no, Rosen, no, no, no. Rosen can throw the ball. Like Rosen's an actual functional no, thrower. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he can throw the ball, but he sucks. I mean, his personality's bad. His leadership is bad. I mean, everything about him is just not good. I mean, you know, like when you take a quarterback in the first round, usually there's a fifty-fifty uh, rate around the league that uh, you're going to fail. And he's the one that probably is the worst. The fact that, I mean, he, I mean, how about the Dolphins making a trade and giving up a, ultimately a second-round pick I know. for him? And he sucks. It's terrible. It's terrible. He sucks. <laughs> Professor, I don't think I've ever heard you this incensed about anyone, including Tim Tebow. Yeah, well, I mean, Tebow was a joke. I mean, thank, thank yeah. God they cut him because, again, he shouldn't even be on the roster. I mean, it's like there, there's certain things in this league that you can kind of figure out. I mean, one, you figure out Tebow should never have come back into this league and never been allowed to come back into the league. And the one thing we also know, particularly after seeing him in Arizona, that Josh Rosen sucks. Professor, thank you very much. Thanks, a bright John. spot of my day. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. <laughs> That's the Professor John Clayton. Whoa. Yeah. Came out the top rope like six times there. It did. Our training camp coverage presented by Precore Home Fitness. Jamal Adams, a mainstay in the middle of this defense. He's still not making quite as much as Bobby Wagner, but is he more valuable? We'll tell you next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Most people responded to our question to open up the show relieved. That's where you're at, Danny, as far as the Seahawks getting the Jamal Adams deal done. I had to pick between relieved and excited. I think we're going to go a little bit further towards excited because this means we could just move forward and move into the 2021 season. Well, hopefully it's about being excited about what he brings to the defense, right? Like this wasn't – the goal is not to get him signed to a contract. The goal is to get a player on the field who for the next four years is going to be at the heart of a defense that, that continues the improvement we saw over the course of last season. Was he the most important defensive player for the Seahawks last year? I think yes. I know Jamal Adams is still – excuse me. I know Bobby Wagner is still a good to great linebacker. I don't know that he's still the best middle linebacker in the NFL – I think that you could make a case for Fred Warner if you wanted to. Maybe Darius Leonard if you also so chose to. I thought Adams had much more of an impact. Just made more big plays for the Seahawks last season than Wagner. So to see him get a similar deal to Bobby Wagner that could be worth up to $72 million and give Adams $18 million a year the same that Bobby Wagner's getting, it looks expensive, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, he needs to be the next guy, right? Yes. Bob, Bobby Bobby Wagner has been with this team. This will be like like Russell. This is going to be his 10th season as a Seahawk. The, he is closer to the end of his career than he is to even the middle. I, I would say. Like that's the the way players age and those it's he's still a great player and he's still but that question you you want Jamal to become the the fixture, right? Like you want if for for your defense to be as good as you're hoping it becomes, Jamal Jamal becomes the epicenter of it. Yes. Jamal becomes the biggest difference maker. 100%. And last year, in 12 games, 83 tackles, 11 tackles for a loss, 9.5 sacks, 14 quarterback hits, a forced fumble, and three deflected passes. You want to see more deflected passes. You want to see more interceptions. Would that happen if he's fully healthy for a whole year? Would he have potentially had some of those in the playoff game against the Los Angeles Rams fully healthy? I actually think yes. I mean, he said that after the game, too, that, yeah, there were some things out there that I couldn't quite do. He had a torn labor when he had some broken fingers, too. Yeah. yeah. 
I I think that that's a fair thing to point out. But he he got on the field in the second half of the year, and your defense improved. When he came back from that groin injury, your defense was significantly better. And I think we could all see the limitations that he had because of the injuries, especially in the playoff game. He couldn't raise one of his arms. Right? He couldn't he couldn't lift up one of his arms to defend passes. There's a level of energy he brings to the table, and I don't know if it's quite definable or even quantifiable. But I know, Danny, being back out there at training camp yesterday, this defense had a lot more energy than I think it has in days and practices past. They were flying all over the place. They were all riled up, even if Adams wasn't necessarily on the field. And Pete Carroll acknowledged that yesterday, saying that Adams provided the juice we needed in a season where there were no fans in the stands. No, yeah, that's that was a it's, that was really kind of the theme for last year. That wherever you were playing, you had to generate your own support and your own juice and, and energy. And and he's one of those guys. Uh, what I don't know that our fans realized last year is how he played hurt and played one armed for a number of games when the shoulder was bad. And uh, if you're at the stadium, you probably could see that more clearly, you know. But the toughness that he demonstrated and the grit and all the, all the beautiful aspects that he he you know he he put forth was. Uh, our fans, I think, will come to understand that and appreciate him. I think he, he's really something. Those are two different things that I think very few players are able to have both of. The ability to get other people around you excited to stay in a positive mental state mm-hmm. over the course of a game, especially when things are going poorly, but also to be able to play through injuries too. Yeah, Pain tolerance is subjective. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. It's a huge credit to him that he was able to play hurt. Like that, that is. There's, there's a lot of dudes that that aren't capable of doing that, and I don't even think that that's necessarily a poor reflection on them. And I don't begrudge someone that decides it. But a dude that if if you're looking at what players do you want to employ going forward, the ability to play through or come back from injuries is a significant. It's a significant asset in a league where guys get hurt like they do in the NFL. It's one of the I think biggest strengths of Russell Wilson and. I'm sure there are tons of injuries for Russ that aren't listed on injury reports. Yes. Much like you see with Tom Brady. That guy's just tough, though, and you see him every single week. And to have somebody that can play through things like that, sometimes it inspires others to be able to do that. Pete was also asked yesterday how he feels about Adams saying he's a defensive weapon, not a safety. Well, the, the term unicorn came up during the negotiations. I don't know if, that, if that's what you're getting <laughs> at, but... Uh, he, he's a he's a rare player, and he, he can do a lot of stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it all comes together. I do not want to hear the unicorn term unicorn ever applied to a football player. Again. Only basketball? No, not basketball either. Unicorns, unicorn sounds magical. Like, it sounds like some sort of, it doesn't sound intimidating. The whole- like, I know The Rock in, in, in Central Intelligence, the movie he was in with Kevin Hart, talked about the, the most powerful uh, animal in all, of the, in all of the kingdom. But no, like, you know, Unicorn does not sound like somebody that'll make your snot bubble out of your nose because he hits you when you're coming over the middle. Uh, according to the old fable, too, the, the Unicorn was a slacker, and uh, he procrastinated, and he didn't get on the, the ark because he was an idiot, and, and then he died. He drowned to death. It's really, really tragic. But we talk about unicorns, yes, as these special things. Who do you think described himself as the unicorn? I'm guessing it was Jamal Adams at his camp. That's a pretty ballsy thing to put on the table, right? You know, I'm a unicorn. Well, it's a tech term, right? Like that's what that's what that's what tech investment investment bankers and venture capitalists talk about. Like, yeah, it's the term that they use for this sort of one in a million kind of startup idea. So I get it. It just sounds it it's 
It sounds like it has dyed pink hair and 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 prances is what it sounds like to me. Sounds like, like a that's what it sa- Generation Z kid. Yeah, that, that's what it sounds like to me. It, it sounds like somebody who makes mumble rap. Like the unicorn <laughs> makes mumble rap, not someone who inspires fear across grown NFL players across uh, across the land. Well, I mean, yes, they're <laughs> they're pink, but they have a big they have a big horn on their face. <laughs> Anybody ever seen a unicorn gore anything? No, I've seen him starring in My Little Pony type uh, type episodes. Uh, unicorn is not intimidating. I think in a PG thirteen or rated R setting, we might see something different. Anyway, shifting into why he is different, he's a defensive playmaker, closer to a linebacker. He has made just about as many plays as guys like Darius Leonard, Fred Warner, and Bobby Wagner over the course of the last season. It's Danny and Gallant, seven ten, ESPN Seattle. Do you like the unicorn descriptor for Jamal Adams? Up next, Nick Ballore. He's playing not just fullback for the Seahawks. You're also seeing him at linebacker. What's that been like? He'll tell us next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We're going to be talking to Nick Ballore from Seahawks Training Camp. Our coverage here at 710 ESPN Seattle brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. The deal yesterday, Jamal Adams has agreed and signed a contract extension with the Seattle Seahawks. We asked John what he thinks is next. He said probably Dwayne Brown's the next guy in line. Also, Quandre Diggs, what do you think Seattle does next, Paul? Or what should Seattle do next? Brown should be next because you need to have Brown on the field. And I don't know that he's going to be on the field. But I think that they're going to go after Quandre Diggs next. Diggs, to them, is important. He plays that center field spot in that defense about as well as you can ask, and considering the bad times that you had before you traded for him, he's very important to this defense, perhaps as important considering you're not so sure about your cornerbacks as Jamal Adams might be. The question is, what kind of contract is he going to be looking for? Because... If I'm Diggs and I see that Adams contract, even if I'm not on Adams' level, I'm still thinking to myself, well, if that's the market, then I should be getting closer to that than what I was making before, which is, what, $5 million a year or so? We'll see what happens there. I'm not as worried about that contract negotiation. I, I, I think that one's a much more straightforward. If you want the extension, here's the extension. Otherwise, you play out the— If you—look, Quandre Diggs has been really good. But Quandre Diggs was also on the outs in Detroit— so that that question of what you had to give up for him, you don't have the same amount invested to get him. And if it goes to a situation where a, a year from now or after the season you're asking what to do with him, that's not the same level of concern that it would have been if Jamal Adams was, right? Like just let, let's yeah. – like setting aside – like Jamal Adams, the deal was more difficult because you're, you're negotiating against yourself. He wants to be the highest paid – Safety by a lot, and you want to make him the highest paid safety by a little. Like that's a that's a hard thing. Quandre Diggs is not in position to be the highest paid safety, and not in, in in position. Like he's not going to get more than Justin Simmons got in Denver. But the other thing is, if you're Seattle, it's not necessarily a disaster if it goes after the season, right? It's not necessarily where Jamal Adams. You're like, okay, we're we're going into we're not we're not exactly comfortable where this is headed. We really want well, it to get done now. With Adams you always had the franchise tag possibility that I think you would be willing to use. With Diggs you don't have that. So Diggs could hit the open market and potentially get paid elsewhere. My hope would be that much like with Adams that Diggs realizes that he was in a dreadful situation in Detroit and is like I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to find myself back in a spot that might be willing to pay him more than the average team because they're not a good football team. 
So that's yeah. something to keep in mind, that there's maybe a potential that he ends up walking if you do operate that way. Yeah, that's true. I just don't think that that risk, and if he does end up walking, it's not the same level of risk as it would have been for Jamal Adams, where you're losing the player, but you're also losing the play, the picks Correct. that you gave up to get the player. Correct. Though I would be concerned about their ability to replace him, given their, I think, struggles when it comes to evaluating that position and players coming out of it, playing it in the draft. The bigger issue is Dwayne Brown. The bigger issue is Dwayne Brown because he's a more important player. He's someone you don't have as clear-cut a successor to. And I don't think Seattle is is interested or pursuing a, a longer-term extension for him. I don't I don't necessarily I don't expect them to engage with him on that. And so then it's basically becoming a is is he going to end up be, is would he be there week 1? If you don't extend him, and are you willing to take that chance? I think the Seahawks are. I'm not. I, I, I want the guy back in the fold, especially after how Chino got hit in Saturday night's game. It is Danny Ingalant. Uh, we do now go to Seahawks training camp. we got Nick Ballore with us. Nick, first of all, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning. Thanks for having me here. We, we hear routinely that you are mentioned as one of the more amusing, more funny teammates. Are, are you someone that specializes in practical jokes or, or giving, giving guys a hard time? Uh, yeah, I will say my comedic uh, abilities will be hindered this morning. My caffeine consumption has not hit its, uh, you know, the right status this morning. So don't expect much from me. But, you know, I try to keep it light. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy here. We have uh, – it's – you know, Pete does a great job of keeping everything fun, uh, especially during training camp. And uh, I try to add to that by, you know, making fun of the young guys or whatever I have to do. How much caffeine do you typically consume? Ah, uh, you know, that is uh, that is private information. But I, <laughs> I, I would say, I don't know if a cup of co- coffee's got 200 milligrams. I'm probably, you know, I'm pushing the upper limits of maybe a gram a day. So especially during training camp but uh i try to uh you know have that trickle down over the season but never actually happens in in your time with the seahawks and we've been fortunate enough to to be watching you here for a couple couple seasons now who's the funniest or the most surprising guest that pete has brought in we've seen will ferrell and other what's the guy that's caught you most off guard and you're like whoa i can't believe that we're that guy's talking to us well i I will say it was pretty wild to have Chris Berman here the other day. Um, but, you know, Pete has brought in a bunch of guys. Uh, you know, we had Jeff Gordon, uh, Bill Russell, um, Michael Jordan's come on to a couple uh, Zoom Whoa. calls. Um, Pete gets MJ? Pete's got MJ's number? He can hook that up? You know, I don't know if it was him or if it was Russ, but uh, between the two of them, you got to figure that they can pull off just about anything. But, uh, yeah, MJ showed up uh, on a Zoom call before, uh, I think he was going out fishing or something, and and (laughs) (laughs) talked to the boys for a little bit, got them going, and then uh, (laughs) headed off to sea. So that uh, that was pretty interesting in the middle of... I mean, it must have been May or something. We were doing virtual meetings, so uh, you never really know what to expect. And there's always, uh, you know, someone coming in that door or on that Zoom call, which is pretty cool. Do you guys have a list of requests that you would want to have happen and have stumble into your Zoom meeting? No, it, no, we don't. But uh, that's actually interesting because you know they can pull off quite a bit here. So it's uh, really, um, you know, that is actually a good, good. Uh, 
good thing to do. I was actually doing a, we were doing offensive kind of group presentations and, and we were able to get Kim Kardashian on there, which was kind of wild. What? What? We're doing the, the zoom from home. So, uh, uh-huh. I'm doing it and I'm talking with what ended up being Kim. And my wife is like looking around the corner. It's like, is that Kim? I'm like, Rachel, Rachel, go away. I'm, I'm presenting. This is important football stuff. So, um, yeah, no, there, there's always always something uh, fun and light going on here, so that that makes it quite enjoyable from a day to day perspective. You've had a lot of experience. You've been with the Jets. Uh, you were with the Forty ers before coming here. Spent some time with with the Lions. Have Have you liked your time here in Seattle? Oh, there's nothing better. And uh, you know, I'm not just saying that. It's uh, it. Everything from the organization to uh, you know the fans uh, to the teammates that I've I've had and the friends I've made here. Um, there's nothing that's you know you're never closer as a team and you're never treated better. And uh, you know I am so lucky to have finally found my way my way out here because it's kind of like a something you hear whispers about it like when you're in the nfl and it's like oh you gotta get out to seattle and play for coach carroll and uh when i finally got out here i'm like well it is true it's like you come to the practice facility you're on this beautiful lake and you see eagles flying and you have a great team and great coaches and it really doesn't get any better you're a fullback you're playing linebacker too that's pretty cool how did this develop yeah i don't know i uh i think um it's actually worked out quite well because um, get to do both. Uh, the young guys don't know that I used to play linebacker, so they're like in in shock if I do anything remotely good at that <laughs> position, and I don't tell them that I you know played extensively for I don't know seven eight years in the NFL at it. So um, I like to keep the mystery there, so they think I'm some phenomenal athlete, which I certainly <laughs> am not. So I. Uh, that plays to my, uh, advantage and, um, you know, but it's been fun though. We've had, you know, just, it's been kind of a little fill in duty at linebacker and kind of, uh, try to get back at it. Like I, I used to do it. I, it's, uh, I realize it's not like riding a bike. You got to actually compete against our offense, which is not as much fun as I anticipated. <laughs> um, but you know, it's been good to do. And then, you know, whatever fullback stuff they need me to do is it's awesome. I, I think that would be an opportunity to give some of the younger linebackers a hard time where you're like, wow, it se- seems like I'm kind of picking this up pretty pretty quickly. Like maybe maybe I'm a natural at this, like when you when you when you do something well at linebacker. Oh yeah, believe me, I do that quite often and, and they're uh you know I don't know what that they don't understand that there's Google or whatever, they can try to figure it out that way. But <laughs> um you know, for now I'll just take it take the compliments that I get, you know, rarely, but when I get them I'm like, Oh yeah, just it's just, uh, you know, a new position. I'll figure it out. And they're like, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. <laughs> Who's the easiest teammate to get a rise out of? Who's got either the thinnest skin or the most gullible? Who's the easiest guy to get on your team? Oh, the easiest guy. I don't know. Uh, I would say just just the way everyone's wired, it's pretty tough. Everyone's, you know, at least from me, they know um, – you know, they know that I'm lurking and I'm watching what they're doing to uh, potentially make fun of them. So I think it's 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 tough for me to get a rise out of people just because uh, they kind of might be guarded because they know that uh, I'll exploit any 
weird stuff that they do in the building <laughs> or on social media or whatever. So um, that's a tough question. I'd say everyone's pretty, uh, you know, thick skinned here. I feel like you're just keeping things under wraps so that you can plan your next perhaps attack. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm not going to give you that kind of information. <laughs> Nick, we're going to allow you to go get the caffeine that you need for the day. Um, Thank we you. Appre- we appreciate you, you coming on and joining us. And seriously, it's, it's really fun to talk to you. Uh, best of luck in these next couple of weeks. We look forward to cheering, you in the, cheering for you when the season starts. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. That is Nick Ballore, your Seahawks fullback, linebacker, practical joker extraordinaire. We got Michael Bumpus joining us. It is Bump Day. He's here for Blue 42. That's next.